Welcome to Gardening Talk back on to a new RFM. Greg Richard here, joined by Scott Sharp. Scott, great to see you once again. And what do you got lined up for us today? It was great to see some sun out over the weekend, help those plants grow. And hopefully it's going to last until next weekend as well, because it's the Tilligree Open Gardens. Uh, a little bit later on the show, we're going to have Linda, who's been organising it. She's yep. going to have a, a chat with us, just fill us in uh, about some of the details and some of the gardens, the beautiful gardens they've got uh, up there and when it's all on next weekend. Also, we're going to talk about oyster plants and a little favourite of mine, marigolds. Marigolds? Yeah, quite a cute little plant. Oh, all right. Now, Scott, we've got a garden festival coming up next next weekend. Yeah, there's this Sunday coming up, and uh, I believe we've got uh, Linda from the Tilligree Community Association about the Tilligree Open Gardens for this weekend. So, hi, Linda. Hello, gentlemen. How are you? Very well. Look, now I understand that you know we've interrupted you and we've pulled you out of the garden because you've. <laughs> I, I reckon you've got a fair bit of work to go between now and Sunday at ten o'clock. Tell us. I still do have a lot of work to go. Luckily, my husband's on leave this week, so I've got him a very long list of uh, chores that he has to get done. Fantastic. You and can I'm sit up on the veranda and watch him do those. <laughs> <laughs> no, in between working and here in the office, and I'm ducking outside whenever I get the chance. We'll get there on the day. Oh, so, look, what have you got left to do? Just lots of tidying, uh, Scott. It's Stuff like little tip pruning, um, picking up sticks. We're on an acreage here, so we spend our whole lives picking up sticks. Lots of mowing um, and just general tidy up. So no major projects left to go, thank goodness. I, I hope not. Now, can you tell us a little bit about the other gardens that are uh, that are on show this Sunday? Yeah, that's right. There's, look, there's nine in total. And um, I went down to the committee meeting, final committee meeting uh, last night, and I must say, which was at Tanilba, the flannel flowers are out in full glory down through uh, Lemon Tree Passage Road. So that's a bonus for anybody who does decide to come. Um, and you can also see the flannel flowers at Tilligree Habitat, which is one of the gardens that's open. Um, they have a native nursery at the habitat as well as a cafe. So that's always good and you can wander around there. Then there is Serenity at Malaboola. It's a domestic block, but it's a lovely cottage garden, um, lots of natives and a few fruit trees, a pond, so very peaceful and tranquil. What else have we got? We've got um, Diggers Park, which is also known as the Secret Garden. This is a community effort, and it's in a little park that runs between two streets. And all the properties that back onto this little um, laneway all contribute to the garden. And it's, it's quite lovely. Um, it's well worth a look. Um, what else have we got? So we've got the burrow and we've got wet noses and waggy tails. Now, these two are both quite steep gardens. They've had to overcome a lot of um, problems with erosion. One's totally waterfront, so they've got salt spray as well. And, and then dealing with terraces, um, all sorts of things there. And then we've got Cedar House, which is kind of like a rainforest front yard with a pond, lots of native ferns and orchids, and no lawns garden, that one. So um, um, quite the greenie our friend is, so worth a look. Fantastic. And, and it sounds like with those wet nose and waggy tails, you might even spot some uh, koalas or some other wildlife up there as definitely, well over on Sunday. Definitely. Uh, de- and at the habitat, keep your eyes out at the habitat. They're known for their um, koala sightings down there. So 
Fingers crossed. Very nice. Now, of course, Tanilba House is open as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So Tanilba House, it's open a bit later. It doesn't open until 11 a.m. So it's a historic home um, that not many people know about. It's actually um, built in the 1830s, um, which is quite old for something of this area. And it's got a really whimsical colonial garden and right up on top overlooking um, Susan Bay. So the aspect is just beautiful. And they've also got arguably the oldest olive tree in Australia. I think I think Dee said the only other one that is up contention, I believe, is in Elizabeth Farm. Now, don't quote me on that, but um, if you go up to Tanilba House, definitely ask them about it. I'm sure they'll tell you all about it. Fantastic. Now, look, a little bit more information. It's on a Sunday, this Sunday, 23rd this, October. Between, this Sunday, the 23rd, yeah. yep. Between uh, 10 and 3. Ten and three, that's correct. Now, a little bit um, about uh, the, the tickets, and uh, it's a fantastic cause where all the money's raised and going is, to. If you could is. tell us a bit about that as well. So the money raised will be going to the Tillery Community Association, and it's going towards a grant that um, we've that they've been approved for the lighting of the gates at Tanilba. Now, these are amazing stone gates that were part of the original state that run from Avenue of the Allies um, down to the water. And they're just, you know, it's quite another thing to be seen. So the lighting of the gates will be wonderful. They'll look spectacular lit at night. So that's where all the funds are going this year. Now, uh, ticket sales are available online at trybooking.com. Now, they're $10 online, but we have had quite a few requests for paper tickets. So there will be some paper tickets available at both Tilligree Habitat, uh, Barangi and Heaven Gardens, but unfortunately they'll be $15 because we've had to cover the cost of printing those tickets. Okay, and, and those those tickets get you into all of the gardens? All of the gardens. That's one price for all of those nine gardens. Bargain. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> and it looks like you've got children under 16 free as well, free. so that's a lovely gesture. Yeah. Get the kids out in the gardens and let them have a look around. Maybe they'll spot the koalas. Then maybe they will. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Better than my poor old eyes. So, look, a fantastic <laughs> cause. Uh, just, I love these gates. I've been sort of throwing this uh, this picture around here, the studio, for the past 10 minutes. Like, look at this, Greg. Look at this. Yeah. Uh, look, they look really beautiful. Uh, and these gardens, uh, sounds like everyone up there has been working so very, very hard to get them uh, up and beautiful for this weekend. So, that's fingers crossed for the weather and no wind know, and all of those things. I know. Yes, yes. Well, unfortunately, we don't have any control over the weather, but, you know, I've had a little chat with the weather gods and um, let's hope that um, they pull through for us, that's for sure. Look, the gardens will be beautiful nevertheless. <laughs> so that's this Sunday between 10 and 3, uh, the Tilligree Open Gardens jump on up there and have a look at these fantastic gardens and thank you for giving us all that information about them Linda. Oh, thank you for having us on Scott, I really appreciate it. Okay. Cheers. We've got Terry from Batu Bay and he's got a problem with the dreaded onion grass. Good afternoon Terry, how can we help? Yeah Scott, um, just a quick one I um, had a little bit of onion grass up on the front lawn over the last few years, we've just come back from about three months over in WA and um, it's just masses of onion grass across the um, you know, front lawn. I'm just wondering what's some sort of um, herbicide or something I might be able to get to uh, you know, get rid of it. 
Yeah, look, unfortunately, Terry, there's no selective herbicide for onion grass. Uh, so that is a bad thing because, you know, obviously in your lawn, you can't just go through and very, very carefully spray it because undoubtedly that, you know, you're going to have some overspray or some drip and mm. you just get, you know, dead patches all through your lawn. My suggestion with um, with onion grass in the lawn is, is just to start to mow normally. Um, because you're keeping your lawn generally down to a, a fairly low level, it just mows the onion grass out. The only time you really do notice it is then in, in winter um, and sort of this period of time now where, uh, you know, the, the grass, the onion grass is growing quicker than your lawn uh, and you notice it a little bit more. So, look, if it's just throughout the lawn, you just have to accept it. I, I think there's, there's really nothing you can do. You can't can't spray, uh, trying to dig it up, it would just be virtually impossible. And onion, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought of front and load, you'd need a front and loader to come and take the whole lawn away and start again. You, look, you truly yeah. would. And, and the little bulblets um, with uh, onion grass, they just flake away, they're very, very easy to spread around. So, uh, mm-hmm. it, it's virtually impossible to try and dig it out. Definitely don't do that. You never try and pull them out. Um, I, I would just go ahead and just mow now mow, and, yeah. and just get it back down to that level that you just don't notice it. Okay, then. Not a worry. All good. Thanks very much for okay. your help there. Sorry no, to be the old bearer of bad tidings, but... Um, no, that's yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah. You've, you've, no, paid, you've paid for your three away. months over, over in WA. Yeah, yeah. And it's come, you know, when we got back, it's looking really nice and healthy as opposed to some of the other parts of the lawn. So, yeah, yeah. I'll get the mower and give it a hammering. Okay, good on you, Terry. Not a worry. Jeez. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, we've got Peter now from Cole Point, and he's got a question about gardenias. Good afternoon, Peter. How can we help you? Scott, I've got a problem with ligardinias. I've got about 10 in a hedge. Um, they've always been thick and green and lush because I feed them with um, cow manure. But they started to drop their leaves. I've got a lot of um, dead wood and one of the plants actually died. So I cut them all back about three weeks ago. And then two weeks ago I fertilised, but I also put some of the liquid um, pie and something or other you spoke about a week or two ago. Yeah, yeah the iron shellates, yeah, that, that's yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, uh, look, I, haven't got any, I haven't got any new growth at all. Uh, okay. What might have happened is you might have slightly overloaded them, so I'd just go back to watering them at this point in time. Uh, right. Now, the the reason that they might have gone like that in the first place, did you notice if you had any scale insects, you know, either brown or white um, like little bumps or nodules all down the stem of the plants and, and lots of ants lurking around? Uh, I didn't notice, but I'll certainly go home and have a look. Yeah, look, that's often a sign of, you know, gardenias dying back like that and getting, you know, sticks. So you're getting your twigs there that die back. Um, As you probably know, uh, at this time of year, they're, you know, putting on lots of growth. They're putting on all their buds. So they do become quite iron deficient. But you've been on top of that um, because you've been uh, using a lot of cow manure over time. So... They sound like they're really well fed, so I'm, I'm thinking that's probably not the problem for you, uh, but yeah. it, it possibly was, uh, you know, some sort of insect infestation at the time, uh, and scale is the most likely one uh, with gardenias. On the backs of their leaves, they also get this uh, green scale, like almost a little louse scale, uh, yeah. and it's so hard to see because the, the scale has worked out that, uh, you know, like a chameleon, if it gets on the gardenia, it just, you know, can't be seen at all, so... Uh, it, it could right. have been that. And look, the only thing to do with that is to uh, spray with an insecticide or use some white oil or some pest oil uh, yeah. as a preventative. But at the moment, I'd just go back to watering uh, and just see what happens. Right. Uh, all right. I'll 
my reeds room? Is that the spray I need? Uh, look, if you're going to do that, I would use a, a pest oil. It uh, puts a nice little coating uh, and sort of chokes up the, the scale and it can't breathe anymore and it just flakes off over time. If you've got a particularly bad case, you do need to use some white oil and some malathon and sort of mix that together. Um, there used to be a product called, uh, you know, sort of uh, scale um, insect, you know, and it was mixed together already, but they, that's not available anymore. So you do have to uh, mix the two chemicals together. Uh, but at the moment, I'll just use some pest oil and see if you can choke any scale that might be on there out. All right. Now, I have one other question, if I can. Yep, go for it. I've got a small hedge of uh, miniature Japanese box. There's probably 30 plants in it. At one end or either end, nice and lush and green and thick and in the middle, um, yellow, they haven't pushed out and they've got yellow and green leaves. A similar thing? Yeah, look, a similar thing. Uh, again, I would use some pest oil on there just to see, you know, if, if there is some scale. Um, yep. You know, just try and get that under under control as a first port of call. Uh, box can sometimes get a little fungal disease on there as well. Um, so if that does continue to spread after you've used that uh, pest oil, um, it might be time to jump out and, and grab a fungicide of some sort, either copper oxychloride or Mancozeb Plus. And, and give it a good spray with that. That that uh, fungal disease sort of, uh, it looks like a little black, uh, how would you describe it? Like it's almost been dusted with, you know, it's pe pepper almost on there. And, th and that's when you know you've got that fungal disease uh, on that plant. But otherwise, just keep on watering and a light, you know, liquid fertiliser with those ones that are stressed and see how you go with them. All right. Okay. Thanks for that. Okay. Thanks for the call, Peter. Have a good afternoon. Okay. Cheers. You too. See you. And we've got Steve from Dungog, and he's got a thought about onion grass on how to get rid of it. Hey, Steve. Yeah, Peter from uh, Cole Point earlier on had uh, onion grass. Uh, oh, sorry, that, that was uh, the, the gent from Bado Bay who had onion yeah. grass all through his lawn. He'd come back from Western Australia. Have you got some ideas about how he might get rid of that, Steve? Yeah, that's right. I was listening to um, his talk about it, and um, <clears throat> I do a bit of work for a chap, and he's very knowledgeable about gardens, and he told me when the plant is flowering, it's not too close to many other plants. You just get a, a little paintbrush and straight round up and just dab it down around where the stem goes down into the foliage at the bottom of the plant. Yeah, look, that, that that's a great idea, Steve. I, I think uh, the, the problem before, though, was that the onion, onion grass was all through this guy's lawn, so he was going yeah. to be, yeah, it was going to be very, very difficult to go through and do that. Um, yeah, 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 but if it's yeah, right. certainly if it's just in your garden, um, that's a great idea, mate. Because you can just go through with the old paintbrush and uh, and give it a light dab and get rid of it then. Because unfortunately, uh, yeah, like I said, pulling it out, uh, trying to dig it out, uh, virtually yeah. impossible to do. Uh, poison really is the only way to get rid of it. Yes, it is. It is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, 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 pers um, and perseverance as well, because often the one poisoning doesn't, uh, you know do the job uh, you know those little bulbs are very good at surviving down there under the ground and they uh, they sort of slough away and come up again so yeah perseverance and poison unfortunately <laughs> is the way to go yes yes yeah um so when they're putting out all of their energy into the flower yes it absorbs everything and apparently it's supposed to kill all the little bulbs around it as well that they don't chuck off yeah, and that's also true as well. And once um, you know, once they're finished flowering, that's when they start to put more energy back down into the bulb in under the ground. So it is the perfect time to do it, mate. Thank you for that tip. Much appreciated. No, no, you're welcome. No worries. I, okay. I love you, Steve. Good on you, Steve. Have a good afternoon. Yeah. Thank you. Thank Bye. you.
Bye. It's Gardening Talk back on 2 and you are FM. If you had a question for Scott Sharp, 49216216. Now, Scott, you mentioned something about oyster plants before? or Yes, oyster plants. They've been around for a long time. Right, so I've... I don't think I know what an oyster plant looks like. Well, you, you probably do because uh, being a you know a man of culture like mm, yourself, yep. yes, yes, of uh, ancient history. Yeah. Yes, yes. yeah. I'll, ancient I'll keep, history, yep. Yes, ancient uh, Greek and Roman history. Oh, right. So there would have been oyster plants then. They certainly were. But, the, you know, the Corinthian column, the little sort of pattern up the top of the Corinthian oh. column where it comes out, and so that's actually yep. uh, taken from the, the flower of the oyster plant. Oh, right. Yeah, so they've been around for that long. So, uh, look, a man of uh, culture and history as, oh. as yourself. Uh, man of the world as, as me. Yeah, yeah so <laughs> knows all about that. But, look, a really great plant uh, if you need to spread out and cover some ground in a shady place. Uh, I happen to be down in Sydney over the weekend. Yep. I get out and about every now and again oh. down to the big smoke. <laughs> Check it out down there. And I was in the, the big park in the middle of the city. Yep. Yeah, name escapes me at the moment, but not central. Hyde. Hyde Park. Hyde yep, Park, yeah. And very shady under the fig trees in there. Look, they have done a fantastic job of covering a lot of ground to stop the weeds by planting out these oyster plants. Also, ivy as well, interestingly, as a, as a great ground cover. Yep. But uh, look, oyster plant is a good uh, plant to you know fill in shady areas. They get about a metre high, uh, a metre wide as well. You get these beautiful purple and white flowers that, that come out uh, now and go through till January. Look, they'll grow pretty much all around Australia, except in the arid inland. Yeah. Uh, you just need that uh, shady area, uh, a little bit of water, great under, uh, you know, like deciduous trees where they'll lose their leaves in winter and they'll still keep on surviving for you, the, the oyster plants but, in yeah. underneath. Look, the only thing with them, they don't particularly like all the, oh, sorry, the snails and slugs do like them. Yep. Uh, so you just have to uh, make sure you get some bait out and around to keep that under control. But otherwise, a very, very tough plant that will spread out and cover a shady area for right. you. There's not much those snails and slugs don't like, though. Yeah, that's true. They don't like the really woody, hard oh, stuff, but that lovely, soft, well, that, tasty green, they'll go for that. It's Gardening Talkback on 2 RFM. We've got Catherine from Merriweather, and her uh, bougainvillea isn't flowering. Oh, no. Oh, what colour bougainvillea have we got there, uh, Catherine? It was supposed to be a really bright pink one, really fuchsia pink. I bought it from you guys a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And I've had one flower. Oh, no. <laughs> but, the, but the foliage is really healthy. It's lovely. So then I thought I might have been overwatering it, did some research, and they like it to be a little bit dry. Is that correct? Yeah, they, they certainly do. They're a pretty tough old plant. They'll grow in like yeah. an old pot, uh, you know, and yeah. almost from that spread out over, you know, the top of the house. Uh, they yeah. do like those really hot, dry conditions. I'm, I'm wondering if you might, though, just give it uh, some sulphate of potash, which is a, a filiser that promotes flowering and fruiting. Uh, and, I've done that one. Uh, okay, look, you need to do it more than once. It's it's one of those fertilisers that goes into the soil, but then, you know, we'll, we'll sort of, I mean, the best way to describe it will run through. It doesn't store up in the soil um, and oh, build okay. up like in a battery. It will just run through. So you do need to use it regularly. And I would be using it like a good three months prior to, you know, the flowering of the bougainvillea to get the, all that nice uh, flowering material up and running. Um, oh, c- certainly give it a go now. You'll probably get some spot flowering anyway. But um, yeah. Uh, otherwise, yeah, three to four months, you know, I haven't got my calendar here, but maybe June, July, um, you know, really yeah. start using the sulphate of potash and you'll get some flowering and then just let it dry out a little bit as well. And we have had heaps and yeah. heaps of rain, so... Uh, yeah. You know, they're not that stressed well, at the moment. Flowered. I've had it in there for three years. It's never flowered. 
I just had like one flower, but the foliage is really healthy. And then when I put, I went down to your shop and I got some of that stuff, but I didn't use it as frequently as yeah. I should have. And then I wondered, I've got some ground cover, some um, seaside daisies, and I wondered if that was maybe taking away the nutrients from the plant itself. Look, look, possibly, but again, it's such a tough plant, the old bougainvillea, yeah, that, that shouldn't be a problem. Uh, yeah. Look, and you've you've told me that you've got lots and lots of green leafy growth on there, so... Yeah. Yeah, and look, that could be pointing towards, that's why that there's a, a fair bit of nitrogen in the soil, and that's why I was saying try and counteract that with the, the sulphate yeah. of potash and get it flowering. That's great. Thank you for your advice. Okay, thank you for the call, Catherine. Much appreciated. Thank you. Thank thank you. you. Bye. Bye. We've got Richard from Warner's Bay, and he's got a question about agapanthers. Afternoon, Richard. Uh, a, a great unsung hero, the Agapanthus. How can we help you with them? Well, uh, the last couple of, we've got quite a lot of them, heaps of them. What happens when they flower, start to flower, about oh, two-thirds up the stem, it twists and breaks and another flower comes out there? Yeah, I, I have seen that a couple of times with them. And I, I'm wondering if it just might be, a, they might be a you know a hungry plant and they just need some additional fertilising. Because often agapanthus, are, you know, they're the type of plant, they, they're incredibly tough and you just sort of plant them and leave them go. No one waters them. No one really fertilises them too much. Um, so I, I was thinking, you know, for you, just some cow manure, uh, most generally. It might be a little bit late now, um, yeah. but uh, I would think some more regular feeding with cow manure would keep your agapanthus a lot more happy and you won't get that weird and wonderful flowering. Um, you know, you just get a stronger stem and uh, therefore a stronger flower out of it over time. Oh, okay, that's good. Yeah, it's just that uh, we've got quite a few of them in different spots of the yard and some, some people told me, Oh, it's too wet, and someone else says too dry. But as you said, we've really never fed them because they look so green and healthy all the time, you know. Like, but uh, that might be the go. Yeah, it? and look, I'd have, have to say do that when they when they're finished flowering, do that or yeah, do do that when they're finished flowering. Now, just try and do them every three or four months and build it up in the soil. For the plants, I'd have to say, yeah. You, look, you, the friend who said that they don't like wet conditions is most probably right because they certainly, uh, you know, in, in dry conditions they just keep on going and going and going. Um, oh. And you know, they, but they'll get fungal diseases and other insects and pests. So, uh, but look, I think that cow manure is going to be the really good, um, you know, the, the good oil for them. Okay, thank you very much for that. So when they finish flowering, I'll, I'll do that then. Yeah, start then. Don't don't worry about it now. It's sort of game over at this point in time uh, and start fertilising then. That's fantastic. Thank you very much for your time thank and your show is fantastic. Thank you, Richard. Much appreciated. Okay. Have a good afternoon. Bye-bye. It's Gardening Talkback on 2 and URFM. We've got time for a couple more calls. We've got Viv from Islington and I want to know about putting a bay tree into a pot plant. Hey, Viz, no. how, oh, that's all right. How can we help you then? <laughs> it's a bay tree that's actually in the pot. Yes. And I just want to um, repot it and trim the roots back and then put it back into fresh soil. But it's actually got um, some little shoots on it um, now. So I'm just wondering if I've left it too late or if I can still do it. Oh, look, I'd still do it. A bay tree is about as tough as, as you can get. Um, you know, there's, okay. there's agapanthus, there's olives, you know, all of these tough as nails plants. And uh, a bay tree, uh, look, you've, you see them almost grow, you know, on, on the side of a rock. So I don't think that's going to be harmful. Um, like, you, as you said, pull it out, give it a good old root prune with a nice, uh, you know, pruning saw or a, a sharp knife, um, some nice fresh potting mix, no fertiliser though. You just want oh, to get, okay. yeah, you just need to start watering again after that. And the reason for no fertiliser is because the plant's going to be a little bit stressed and won't be able to uh, handle having that fertiliser 
um, you know, going up through it. Yeah. So you just want to reduce the stress by water, water, water. Hopefully you won't get, uh, you know, too much leaf drop. If you do, um, just give it a light prune back. You could take, you know, a third of the plant off if you wanted to um, and just uh, reduce that, uh, you know, stress on the plant where you, you've cut off, you know, a lot of its root system. So how's it going to keep on drawing up the nutrient? Well, the, re the way you do that is take off a little bit of the top and sort of even out the ledger. Uh, but you won't have any problems doing that with the bay tree. Oh, lovely. Thank you very much. Okay, not a problem. Have a lovely afternoon. You too. Thanks, Viv. Thanks. Bye. We've got Carmel from Stockton. She's got a question about the magnolia gem. Hello, Carmel. How can we help you? Oh, hi. Um, I have a magnolia gem that I thought was needed a little bit of cut back, and I think I cut it back. I, I feel I may have cut back the growing stem. Someone told me, and it's been in for six years, and it's still only 85 centimetres tall. And I was wondering, is it ever going to grow? Like, is, will it ever bush up and grow, or will it just stay the same? Is there anything I can do to help it grow? Yeah, look, after six years, a magnolia little gem should be a, like a, a three to four metre lovely looking plant with lots and lots of flowers on there. So I, I reckon yeah. there's something else going on rather than you of cutting back you know the, the sort of the main leader because even if you you know heavily prune a magnolia little gem you'll still get you know shoots coming out and it will resume its shape is the best way to describe it without having that main leader going up the center um where have you got it have you got it in a pot or in the ground no it's in the ground yeah okay um and are you fertilizing it in any way whatsoever um well for the last two years i've been Yes, I have been fertilising it. Whether I've been giving it the right fertiliser, I'm not sure because it was sort of my mission to try and get it to um, grow yeah. and see if I could get it to improve. But so what, what fertiliser should I be giving it? Yeah, look, the poor, the poor little tucker sounds hungry. It's, it's probably crying out for some food. In the ground, I would definitely go and grab some cow manure. Uh, yeah. And and spread you know almost the whole bag if you wanted to a, around the plant not you know up up against the trunk but around the drip line of the plant yeah. and water that in um, and with that you could probably do that uh, you know three times a year if you wanted to I'd also grab some uh, liquid fertilizer of some type um, it can just be you know the old Thrive Aquasol Flourish and water that in and around the plant as well um, that will certainly help it out. Um, how long do I do that? Like every four, like how long, how often do I give it that aquasol sort of? You could, in fact, be giving that to, you know to the plant every, as you said, every fortnight, three to four weeks. You're in Stockton now. One of the great problems over there, of course, you know that um, it is very, very sandy, uh, and yeah. so all the nutrients are just running back down through the soil. So that's why I'm suggesting the regular cow manure, uh, because it will build up the soil and just uh, you know build up that. Uh, that, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I I don't want to give up on it because what actually is growing like I it does have some flowers but it's just never got any taller and I feel I yeah I don't want to give up on it. Yeah, look, certainly don't give up on it, but I reckon that cow manure is going to get the organic matter back in the soil yeah. and get a nice looking plant. Thanks for the call. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. We're running out of time there, Scott Sharp, but. We'll be back again next Monday. Yeah, hopefully we'll help Carmel and all's well. <laughs> Guarding Talkback on 2NURFM. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.